take your copy of the Bible and go to the book of Titus, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. It's one of the pastoral epistles written to a pastor in Crete. And we're going to look again as we go verse by verse through this. Just one verse today, Titus chapter 3, verse 8. And we're going to talk about between the cross and heaven. Because it seems to me like we kind of go to one of two extremes. We either are thinking that we are to do, do and go and do and go and do and go. And that's the sum total of our life. And we don't really think about Jesus and rest in Him. And we think sometimes that our sanctification and our growth is up to us instead of realizing that that's by the grace of God. Or we go the other way and we go, well, I'm saved and my family's saved. I don't see much need to be involved in anything else. And we cloister up and we gather in our groups and we really don't have much interaction in this world. So what good is your life on earth for heaven's sake and uh, we are here to be ambassadors to make disciples and all of those kind of things that you know but Paul is concerned about the church here at Crete and um, he writes to Titus telling them in verse 8 what to do basically until you die what to do until the Lord returns after you have trusted Christ well Jesus said we're to love God with all of our heart but he also said we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Titus 3.8 puts it like this. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly. Did you get that? Don't let this slip away. Affirm constantly. What, what is it? That those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So in other words, as we have believed in God through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we've been singing about, that is supposed to translate into the way that we live and specifically, Paul says here, into the realm of good works. Now to be clear, I think most of us know this, but just to be clear, we're not saved by our good works at all. Okay? Going to a Christmas Eve service does not get you any closer to God than going to a, oh, a bar or anything else. You say, really? No, it doesn't help you at all. It's not going to get you any closer to God. Being here this morning will not get you any closer to God than if you were worshiping Buddha or something like that. It's not our works that get us close to God. What happens is we are drawn to the Lord by His grace and we trust in what Jesus Christ has done for us. We lay everything else aside. All of our goodness, all of the things we think about ourselves, whether they're good or bad, we lay it all aside and we trust only in what Jesus has done for us on the cross as the payment for all of our sins in full. Not a partial payment, a full payment for our sins. And that was confirmed by God raising Jesus from the dead. 
And 40 days later, Jesus ascended to where he is today at the right hand of God the Father. And he is exalted and every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the Bible is clear, for by grace is unmerited, unearned favor we are saved. And that's through faith, faith in what he has done. And that's not of ourselves, even the faith is a gift from God not of works, lest any man should boast. But right after that, it tells us that we're his workmanship and we have been ordained, created for, prepared for good works. So the good works are the result, not the cause. It's um, the way we, we think of ourselves as we are not to sit around and be idle Saying, well, I was saved by grace apart from works, so I don't have to do anything. Well, it's true. You don't have to do anything to be saved or to maintain your salvation. God holds you and God keeps you. But it's God's will for you to go to work and good works flow out of you. Works that are consistent with your salvation. Apple trees bear apples. And peach trees bear peaches. And Christians bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of Christ coming out of our lives. And they are shown in good works that we do. So read the verse again. Paul said, this is a faithful saying. In other words, you can count on this. And these things I want you to affirm, not just at Christmas... Not just when the world kind of is in the season of it. This is what we do constantly. We affirm constantly. And what do we affirm constantly? That those who have believed in God, that's those who are born again, those who have trusted the, cro the cross of Christ for their salvation, should be careful. In other words, we watch out for, we um, are diligent to maintain good works. It's not sporadic. It's not off and on. In fact, it's not even surprising to anyone. This is what comes out of us because Christ is coming out of us. And these things are good and profitable. And I took note of how he said it in the New King James Version. Good and profitable to men, to humans, to humanity. Now, if he were only talking about doing good in the church... And you certainly should do good in the church. We ought to take care of one another. We ought to love one another. We ought to pray for one another. We ought to do meals for one another. We ought to check up on one another, of course. He would have said these things are good and profitable to us. But notice how he didn't say to us. He said something that would certainly include us, but it would include other people as well. Good and profitable to men to humanity. And I take it from that that it is the role of the church to trust Christ as Savior and Lord and be surrendered to Him. We would all say amen to that and check that off. It also means that we are supposed to, as a body, gather to worship. We are to support one another. We are to love one another. We are to help one another. In fact, if you read in the opening Chapters of the book of Acts, that's what the early church did, and they did it well. They took care of one another. 
They would even sell land that they had in order to meet the needs of other people in the church. I mean, of course, we're supposed to do that. We help each other. We affirm one another. We celebrate together. We confront people that are in sin and help them out of their sin. And we love people and we do all of that. Of course, we're to do that. But there's something else that sometimes is missing. Jesus said that we are to let our light shine before men, and that's the same word used here. And why are we to let it shine before men so that they may see our good works, just like Paul said, and glorify our Father which is in heaven? So who are the men that we're talking about? We're talking about Lost men, lost women, lost boys, lost girls, people who don't know Christ. And we're talking about the fact that we are to be salt and we are to be light. And a lot of that is not needed inside of these walls. We can proclaim until Jesus comes the gospel inside of these walls, except most of you in here... Well, I hesitate to say you don't need it. We all need the gospel and need to be reminded of it. But you know what I mean. You're already saved. It's not an earth-shattering thing. It's not that thing that will, uh, you know, change everything about you. There are people outside of the walls, though, that need to hear it. Now, the problem is, um, I think about how many uh, evangelism conferences I've been to over the years. And uh, they would all get up and this preacher, this high-powered, highly persuasive preacher would uh, start telling us, I was just out the other day and I remember one of them in particular said, I was just jogging. There was this man sitting out on his porch and I just stopped, said hello to him and walked up to him and led him to Jesus. And, you know, and the crowd was all excited about that. And uh, so I went home and said, I'm going to try that. Not the jogging, but the other part. And... Uh, I went up to a guy and uh, started a conversation with him. And he cut me off very quickly and said, I'm not interested and I don't really want to talk about that. Thank you. And he shut the door in my face. Well, what's going on? And I found out that a lot of people were having the same reaction that I was having. People would cut them off. People didn't want to hear. Or they would listen politely and then just you know, dismiss it and go on their own way. What's the deal? And what they forgot to tell us at those evangelism conferences is that there are those times when you will run across a person who is ripe and ready to receive Christ. But those are the exception rather than the rule. You see, we just looked last week and we saw that sinners, which would include us before Christ, were desperate and depraved and dirty. Remember all of those? And uh, dead in trespasses and sins. And they're not interested in the things of God. And I found out that there are people that if I walk up to them and just start telling them about Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I don't mean to discourage that. They tend to not listen because they are dead in trespasses and sins. But there is an amazing thing that happens, though. When you have a neighbor that doesn't want to talk about your religion, quote-unquote, a neighbor that doesn't want to talk about your God, a neighbor that doesn't want to talk about eternity, in fact, they don't want to think about death, and they don't want to think about their sin, and they don't want to feel guilty or anything like that. They don't want to talk about it. 
But when you show up at their house and you take a cake to them when they've had a death in the family, that speaks sometimes louder than your words. There are those times when you stop and help someone change a flat tire. When you stop and help someone when they're working in their yard. When you show compassion to someone who's made a mess out of their life. When you help someone maybe break an addiction of alcohol or drugs in their life. When you teach someone English as a second language. When you are getting involved with a woman who has become pregnant and she doesn't know what to do and you volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center to see her through that. There's something about showing up and the ministry of being present and the ministry of meeting people's needs that give us the opportunity to, number one, either back up what we said to them about our faith or, number two, it may open the door to share our faith. Because when you do those kind of things, some people call them random acts of kindness. I would prefer to call them for us intentional acts of kindness because we look for ways to help people, to serve people, to minister to people as an opportunity to open the door to share the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're in a fast food restaurant and you feel impressed to pay for the meal that a single mama is buying for her kids, knowing that she may be in desperate straits, and you pay for that meal, and she knows it, and she says, you don't have to do that, and you go, oh no, but I, I, I want to do that, I want to do that for you, and she says with tears in her eyes, why? It's a door open where you can drive a Mack truck through it, and tell them about Jesus. Five minutes before that, she may have dismissed you. Said, I don't want to hear about all of that. But now, she's interested. Dave Ramsey, the financial expert, talks about being blessed to where he can go to Waffle House on Thanksgiving Day. And he says, one thing you know about someone working at Waffle House on Thanksgiving Day is they don't really want to be there, but they have to be there. And he said, when you pull up in front of that window and you tell your wife and your kids, I'll be right back because you're on your way to grandma's house after all. He said, you go inside and you go up to that counter and when that waitress comes in and you can tell how tired she is, and you can tell she would rather be at home. She would rather be with her family. And he said, and when you order a cup of coffee, he said, and you don't even really drink it. You just, when the ticket comes, you put down the money for the tab. They take it and they bring you back your change. And then he said, and then you reach into your wallet and you pull out three $100 bills and you lay it down for the tip and then you walk out. He said, there you are. And he said, it's like you're watching a theater because the window is there and you tell your kids, now watch this. And he said, and you watch as that waitress goes up there and she pulls up the tip and then she stares at it in disbelief. And he said, the next thing she's going to do is pick up that $300 and she's going to clutch it to her chest. He said, because you probably just changed her life at least for the moment. 
And he said, and then there's that woman who may have given up on God, may have decided that God's blessings were for everyone else but her. And for the first time in maybe forever, she looks up. And she mouths the words, thank you. And he said, you are showing your children how to be generous, how to share what God has given them, and who knows how the door for the gospel and faith and believing. Maybe that woman has heard the gospel. Maybe she heard it from her grandparents. Maybe she went to VBS as a child. Maybe she went to Falls Creek. Maybe she did some of those kind of things. But now, through good works... You've opened her up to the fact that there's a real God, a God who hears prayers, a God who loves sinners, and a God who provides for our needs. And who knows what seed that planted or watered or maybe will come to fruition. I think about how many times I have seen and heard some of you that take your circumstance in life We've had church members that have been receiving chemotherapy infusions who have come to me and said, I'm thanking God for this. Why are you thanking God for having to do chemotherapy? Because I've met people that are desperate and that may be dying. And I had the chance to share the life of Jesus and I never would have met them had I not been going through this cancer time. I've heard people that have taken the heartache and the pain of a divorce and they've been able to use that to minister to other people who are going through a divorce and tell them there's hope there's light at the end of the tunnel that is not an oncoming train there's grace there's restoration turn to Jesus trust in Jesus we've had our grief share ministry that has been going on for several years now and has touched a lot of lives. Where did that come from? Brother Steve, when Miss Terry passed away, he took his grief and he turned it into something that could reach out to other people. And there have been more than one person in our church who has done that to the glory of God. And I think that's what Paul is talking about, to take our pain and to turn it into a ministry for someone else. To be aware of other people around us. We live in a fallen, dark, and sometimes a disgusting world. And people are swept up into all of the junk that's going on. It's like a tsunami. They can't do anything about it. It's like an avalanche coming and you can't get out of the way. They're caught in it. And we're called, as the old hymn says, to rescue the perishing. And if we don't ever get out around the perishing, if we don't ever get to understand, to know their story, to know their pain, to know what they're going through, how do we ever rescue them? And so we've got to do that. And Paul says to Titus, this is a faithful saying. This is something you should pay attention to. And that's point number one. What is it we're to do between the cross and heaven? Just pay attention. This faithful saying, this is written before the New Testament is written. This is a saying that the Christians knew. Paul is saying, you already know this. It's a faithful saying. They apparently had some little sayings and things, slogans we might say, that they 
learned and that they would repeat and that they had memorized so that they could do what they're supposed to do. The word faithful saying, it's pistos logos in the Greek and uh, means literally a faithful word. This is a faithful word that I've given you and I want you to affirm this constantly. It's used five times in the pastoral epistles. That's the only place it's used. In 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I can see why they would need to say that over and over. 1 Timothy 3.1, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, that means an overseer, an elder, he desires a good work. I can see why that would be a good thing. 1 Timothy 4, 8 through 10, For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. I can understand that. I need to exercise myself to godliness. 2 Timothy 2, 11, This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. And if I'm getting ready to face the lions in the Colosseum, I can see why I need that. But in addition to that, Paul adds this one and says, this is another one of those that you and I who have trusted Christ should have works that are consistent with our life. Why? Because one of the knocks on the church has always been well, they get together and they sing those songs and they listen to those sermons and they teach those lessons and they pray those prayers. But, buddy, you ought to see them on Saturday night. Or you ought to see them when they're at work. Or you ought to see them at school. And consistency has always been a problem for sinners who are saved <coughs> Excuse me, by the grace of God. Early church and in our church, it's the same way. But I think Paul is pressing us to do a little more than make sure you don't cuss and you don't drink and you don't do those kind of things. I think he's telling us that our Christianity should never be defined simply by our don'ts. You can sit in your house and shut the doors and you can refrain and abstain from all kinds of evil that's going on in the world. And yet nobody's going to notice. Nobody's going to see it. Nobody's going to care. It's not going to make any impact. I think what we have to do is transfer that from I'm a Christian, therefore I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't to saying this, well, what do you do? How important is that? Well, James says... You say you have faith? Show me. Isn't that right? And faith without works is, you know, dead. Dead. And James is not coming across on all of this like Paul is in Romans. See, in Romans, Paul is telling us, how do we justify ourselves before God? And the answer is, you can't. You're a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of your sin is death. But God gave His Son to live the life we could not live so that as one who is 
guiltless and unblemished. He could die in our place and take the anger of God toward our sin that we deserve and put it on Christ. Christ pays for it in full and through his resurrection gives us his life when we repent of our sins, trust in him, and confess him as Lord. That's Paul. Justification. How do I get right before God? Now James says, very plainly in there, a man is justified by his works. Whoa! Does that contradict Paul? Sounds like it, doesn't it? Except that James is telling us, listen carefully, how to be justified before man. Paul, how to be right with God. James, how to be right before men. Because if you are a person who says, yeah, I've trusted Christ, and your life and your work show everything but that, no wonder the world thinks we're a bunch of hypocrites. And they ought to. But if our works line up with our profession, then we can be in the world and we can be out there at work or helping in a disaster or ministering to somebody in some other way. And people look at us and they go, well, yeah, that's a true Christian. Look how they're feeding the hungry. That's a true Christian. Look how they are helping with moral issues. That's a true Christian. Look how they are helping people who can't help themselves. That's what a believer is. So Paul in Romans, how to be justified before God. And James telling us how to have our testimony to stay intact before people. And that's all Paul is saying here. Pay attention. This is a faithful saying. Your life is to be filled with good works so number two would be simply this accept the challenge what is the challenge that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works it's not occasional it's not something that's sporadic it's something that we think about constantly it's something that we guard we want to guard our testimony. And it's also something that we positively do. We are looking for ways to help. Now, my uh, grandfather that I never knew, when he trusted Christ, the one way that my dad, when he came back from Korea, the Korean War, the one way he knew something had happened to his dad, as they were driving down the road, there was a neighbor that was up in a tree that my grandpa used to cuss at, and I hated him. And my grandpa stopped the car, to my dad's astonishment, got out, climbed up in a tree, and helped the neighbor do some of the trimming that needed to be done. And when dad saw that, he said, his salvation's real. His testimony is real. Because he never would do anything like that ever before. What happened? His works confirmed his salvation. And so the world is looking at us and God is calling us to be careful, careful, careful to maintain good works. You know, if you're not uh, careful about it, you're going to do what I did yesterday. I, or two days ago, Friday, went into an oil change place and the guy was talking to me a little bit and he goes, nice truck. And I said, yeah, it used to be my dad's. 
before he passed and the guy goes oh I'm sorry to hear that and then he told me how he was driving his dad's truck and then he started telling me about how his grandpa had passed away and he was talking all about it and obviously it hurt him very deeply and you know what I did paid my money and I drove off and I had an open door to do something with that guy I'm hoping God will give me the opportunity to see him again you know what I did in that I sinned I missed an opportunity I had the opportunity but I was too caught up in what I was doing do you ever do that because it really wasn't on my mind to do that it was the kind of thing when I drove away I go ah oh, I should have talked to him I should have given him a tract I should have done something like that but I didn't you know why because it's your pastor speaking, right? I wasn't careful to maintain good works. You ever do that? You ever walk by a situation and go, Oh, oh, why didn't I help? Why didn't I say something? Why didn't I do something for someone else? And you know why I share that story? Because I'm no better than you are about all of this. We're sinners in need of God's grace to get us in the place to where we think about these things. We see these things. We pay attention to these things so that we are careful to maintain good works. And as a result of reading these verses, it's my intention to do better. Will I get it all straightened out tomorrow? No, no, and neither will you. But we can be better, and we can take baby steps. And if all of us will do, well... Someone used to say to me, a little bit of something is better than a whole lot of nothing. Isn't that right? And so we do this, and we wake up, and we look in the mirror of God's Word, and we say, not only do I need to pay attention, but I need to accept the challenge here. This is not easy for all of us. This is not easy. I'm not normally a real compassionate person. I'm not a person who sees those needs. I need to have the Lord show me those things. And I need to be ready to meet that need and to do something at the time. In other words, we're all in the same boat, aren't we? Number three. Here's the third thing. Extend love. These things are good and profitable to men. You know what Paul is telling us? Whenever you see something in a lost person's life or a saved person's life that could be profitable and good for them, you ought to step in. You ought to take that as an open door. You know, it's amazing. You may not have $300 to give to a tip to a waitress on Thanksgiving Day, but you may have 20 and that may be a whole lot more than she would ever get from anybody else. You may not have a, a, a lot of skill to be able to take and fix somebody's car, but you could help them air up a tire. You could, may not have a lot of medical knowledge, but you could run to the pharmacy and pick up a prescription. You may not be a, a mortician, but you could take a meal to somebody who is grieving. You, you may not be a psychologist, but you could write a Christmas card to somebody that you know is lonely during this season of the year. I mean, it could go on and on and on if we only could see the opportunities and create, create the opportunity to share Jesus with somebody else. The Bible says in Acts 10, 38... How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, 
who went about doing good. And we as Christians ought to be doing it too. Jesus went teaching and preaching, healing and ministering to the sick, casting out demons, feeding the hungry, blessing the children, praying, weeping over Jerusalem. He crossed racial boundaries. He withstood corrupt religious people. And he also was a forgiving God. And why did he do it? John 10, 24, it says, So the Jews gathered around him and demanded How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And here's Jesus' reply. I've already told you, Jesus said. Now listen to this. But you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify on my behalf. And I want to tell you something, folks. The works that you do, they testify on your behalf too. If Jesus went about doing good... We should go about doing good. And where do we do it? Well, we do it in the church, of course, because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And it must begin here, and it must be diligent here. But we also take it out into the world. If we are the salt of the world, it's time that we get out of the salt shaker. It's time that we get out where we are needed in the world. And why do we do this? Because the things we say with our lips, you know, the dumbest thing in the world is what Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. That's just foolish. Jesus told us to go into all the world and proclaim, that's words, proclaim the gospel. But you know what Paul is telling us to do? As we're proclaiming, let our good works back up what we say we believe. We are supposed to be like Jesus. What did Jesus do? He went about doing good. What are we doing? We should be going about doing good as well. Inside the church and outside the church because the salt has to get out. The light has to get out where it is needed. And that's where it is needed. Now again, you're not saved by good works. But you were saved unto good works that the Lord has proclaimed to you. We were in our men's Bible study yesterday and Terry Carr reminded me of a song. And it said, if just a cup of water I've placed into your hand, then just a cup of water is all that I demand. Jesus is not going to ask out of you more than he gives you. And there are some things that you say, oh, I wish I could get clean water to the people in Africa. Well, maybe the Lord will let you go. Maybe the Lord will let you give to that. But while you are doing that, don't pass up that mean neighbor who has a problem that you can help them with. Well, they don't deserve it. Neither did you. Neither do any of us. And God was so kind to us. We need to show that kindness to others. And let them see the love of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the power of Jesus. And as the old hymn says, while passing through this world of sin, while others your life may view, be clean and pure without within, let others see Jesus in you. And if they see Jesus in us, maybe, just maybe, The Spirit of God will use that to give them ears to hear.
so that they might listen to us. In the book of Acts, it says that they were praising God and finding favor with the people. Finding favor with the people. When Sammy and I were in Albany, we were doing some door-to-door and prayer walking and that kind of thing. And we talked to a man. And we said, what do you think a church could do in this neighborhood? And he looked up and he goes, nothing. That's pretty sad. That's pretty sad. May it never be said of Graceway. May it always be said of us. Our community profits from this church being here. May it be said by your neighbors. I'm glad that you are my neighbor. You make our neighborhood better. And may it be said of all of us. That's what a Christian looks like. I listen to their message because I've seen their works. Can you say amen to that? That's what we strive for. That's what sanctification is. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes now? Father, this is kind of where the squeaky wheel is that needs the grease. We affirm a lot of truth. But first of all, Lord, we honestly and openly admit we don't live up to everything that we know. Please forgive us. Secondly, Lord, this is kind of where we need to get the truth outside of the walls of the church and out of the Sunday school classrooms into the world where they need it. But they're not opening up their doors to us and they don't really want to hear our message. So Lord, would you create some opportunities where we could help, where we could minister, where we could get involved in their life so that we have an open door to share the gospel. To be ready for these good works. That we would constantly affirm that we should be doing that. And that we would be careful to maintain good works. That's a command of scripture. So Lord, I pray for myself. Forgive me. Open my eyes. Make me more diligent. And I pray that every believer in the church is praying for that same thing. Our eyes have to see it, and our heart has to be yielded to it. Please, forgive us and help us for your glory. And I pray, Lord, for those who have never trusted Christ. Don't let them get confused by this message. Good works will not get them any closer to Jesus. Only Jesus saves. And Jesus alone saves. I pray that that would resonate in their heart. And I pray that they would trust you and confess Jesus as Lord today. And we pray all of this. That you might be glorified in your church because we are obedient to you. As these verses tell us. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand.